0: I want to pray over the Word now, and uh, just ask you also to open up your heart, open up your soul, prepare your own inner man, your mind, for the Word of the Lord and the encouragement that God has for us. Father, we thank you for your Word today. We thank you that your Word is alive, that it's rich, that it's powerful, that we can come to you in Jesus, that you have life for us, that you're feeding us with bread from above during this period. We welcome right now that bread from above, that manna from above, to not only feed us, but sustain us, to keep us, to guard our hearts. We give you the praise for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we, have, uh, we definitely have every reason right now to be worried. Uh, we have every natural reason. We have, uh, I, 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 if we want to blame this on uh, the demonic realm, I don't mind if you do. Uh, I think sickness and disease is of the curse. Uh, it's not of God, it's of the curse. And so uh, this, is, this is what's common uh, in a world that is under the curse. And so the enemy, though, it's not just the sickness that we're dealing with right now, the coronavirus, but it's also the economic ramifications. Uh, it's the emotional ramifications. We have every reason right now, every reason. We, we could come up with so many. I could give you a list of 50 negative things, right? I could be the constant negative news right now and, uh, and discourage you quite well with all of the reasons that we should be fearful, we should be trembling, uh, we should be anxious, we should be worried, uh, we should be fidgeting, we should be sleepless. Uh, But rather than that, uh, God is calling the believer to focus their hearts on Him. God is calling the believer to look to Him. God is calling the nations to look to Him. God is calling all of those distressed, all of those sick, all of those uh, overwhelmed, all of those facing economic peril uh, to look to Him because He is able, where there is where there's no answer, uh, where there's no, where, where there's no uh, uh, natural answer, God is able to bring the answer forth. God is able to supply. God is able. God is able. God is sufficient. And right now he's turning our hearts. He's turning our hearts. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're if you're one who has come to follow him and your heart is toward God, he's calling you to look to him. To not be shaken by what's happening, not give way to fear, not not focus or tune in to the news in such a way that you lose faith or lose heart in the ability of your God. And, and today I want to talk about, because I'm sure this is drawing all of us into prayer. This is, this is drawing uh, uh, even potentially uh, ag- agnostics into prayer and atheists into prayer and those who've uh, turned away from God or been raised in church or had some kind of spiritual background. It's turning all of us to prayer. And as it turns us to prayer, how do we pray? How do we see God? How do we see God? How do we see Him and and are our eyes focused on Him as the solution, as the answer, as the help? I wanted to go to the Lord's Prayer today, Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. The disciples didn't know how to pray and they were observing Jesus in every situation. Uh, Jesus breaking bread and praying over it. Jesus uh, facing the peril of those that were sick or diseased. Jesus uh, dismissing demons out of those that were overcome and demonized. Jesus uh, calming storms. And they see him relating to Father. They know that he's up every morning as well, that he's in the garden, uh, and that he goes to a quiet place, a lonely place, and he meets with Father and he prays. And this was his habit that he would pray, that he would that he would get with Father, that he would spend time with God, that he would that he would have connection, that he would have intimacy with his Father. When we think of Jesus, we can't think of him uh, in his divinity. Just knowing everything and having this connection with Father without prayer. No, actually, uh, as He walked the earth, He walked in His humanity. He set His divinity aside. And so He actually had prayer meetings with Father, He actually had worship meetings with Father, He actually interacted with Father in His humanity, just as we have that privilege now. Just as we're being drawn in now, so it was with Jesus. And so he would get off to lonely places he would get off, and the Bible records even that he would pray an hour a day This this is part of what he brings out in Matthew 26 when he says to the disciples Could you not tarry with me just an hour? Could you not tarry with me? He's he's spending an hour with father as was his habit He calls the three nearest disciples with him, to be with him in prayer, and then he requests of them, could you not tarry with me? Could you not, could you not spend time with me? And then he makes a statement there that's so critical, that's so important, that's so that's so key to our busy life, the way we're pulled to the left and to the right, and we're pulled every which way. He makes a statement there. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's because they they couldn't tarry with them. They couldn't make it through the prayer meeting. They, they were falling asleep. He found them three times asleep. And he awakens them, and this is what he says. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is distracted. Uh, Let that be a statement over you today. Your spirit is actually willing. Your spirit is actually willing. Your spirit is actually leaping. Your spirit actually desires to spend time with its Father. And so this is, this is some of what we learn about Jesus. And so they're asking about him. How do we pray and, and how do we spend time with God and teach us how to pray? And then that's where this that we call the Lord's Prayer was birthed. And Matthew writes about it in chapter 6, verse 9. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He starts the prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name." Now, he says something super important right there. He's actually telling us that there is power in the name of God. There's power in the name of Jehovah or Yahweh. There's power. Those two words, by the way, are the same. They, they come from the same Hebrew root, and the Hebrew word for God originally had no consonants. And so, the, I mean, no vowels. It was just consonants only. And so, those two words are derived from the same of the Hebrew, Jehovah or Yahweh. And and he's telling us here... And he's giving us a clue that there is power, there is life in invoking the name of our Father. That when we hallow, when we revere, when we look to, when we lean on, when we trust in, when we rely upon, when we esteem and revere, when we make the name of our Father hallowed, we're actually tapping into something that brings us into life. And he says it's the first part and the most important part to beginning our prayers. Oh, church, as you're thinking about prayer, as you're thinking, and I know you've been driven to prayer, you've been drawn to prayer, you've been praying more, you've been connecting with Father more, you've been setting aside uh, other things that have been distractions, and other things have been just like taken out of our lives that have been distractions, remember this, to hallow the name of our Father. Now here's what here's what Jesus knew when he said that the bible the old testament the first covenant went to great went to great uh, expression went to great purpose to give us many names for god Throughout the Bible, when God would appear, when God would show up, when God would rescue, when God would move in the hearts of His people, in the lives of His people, many times rescuing them out of calamity like He's going to do this Passover for us, there would be a name associated with His name, and so there would be a a combined name to Jehovah or Yahweh. There would be a combined name. God would give that one who interacted with him an understanding of his nature, an understanding of his character, an understanding of who he was in such a way that there would be another name added to the name of God so that God would be known not just as Jehovah, but he would be known as Jehovah-Jireh. Now, you know, the J is not pronounced in the Hebrew. It's, the, it's the, the pronunciation for the J is actually the Y. So, it would really be Yehovah Yureh, And so, this is one of the names of God. We can find that name uh, in the Bible. Another name is Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Nissi. And I, I want to turn and look at uh, this first one with you. And we're going to go there in the Word this morning because I want us to be leaning into the character of God as we hallow, as we revere, as we remember, as we remember the name of God. And this is how, this is how we start prayer in a right mood even. You know, we don't have to come into prayer in a bad mood. We can come into prayer in a good mood because we're remembering in immediately the goodness of our God, the character of our God. The nature of our God toward us because he's revealed himself in his names. That's what a name does all the way to the beginning of time. What a name does, a name defines character and a name defines identity. A name defines who you are. And so we see God doing this with his name. And the first passage of this is out of Genesis 22. And in Genesis 22, you might know what happened. God asks Abraham to take Isaac, the son of promise, the son that he loves, the, the gift that God promised. In Genesis 15, Abram's crying out. Abraham's crying out to God in Genesis 15. Uh, What about me, God? You said you would bless me. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, God begins the covenant romance and the covenant relationship with Abraham. And, and, And in chapter 15, we fast forward, we see he's crying out to God. And he says, you said you would bless me, but I don't have a son. And this would be the most valuable blessing, the most valuable blessing would be uh, an inheritance, one who would ha- who, one, one who would be a son, one who could carry the family name this this would be the greatest gift it wouldn't be wealth uh, to Abraham, it would be a son to Abraham and Sarah, and so God begins to promise them a son, and the promise continues forward, and it takes. You know, a period of time. And 25 years uh, later, Isaac comes. Isaac is the miracle son who opens the womb of Sarah, whose womb had been closed. And here Isaac comes, the miracle son. Now, fast forward to Genesis 22. The Lord is saying, take Isaac, Take this, take this gift that I've given you. Take this that's important to you. Take this that you love. Take this that is so amazing to you. Take this one to the mount that I will show you. And I want you to sacrifice Isaac. I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. Genesis 22, 9. I'm going to pick it up right there. When they reached the place God had told him about... Abraham built an altar there. It's interesting, you know this, this passage, he gathers Isaac, he gathers some serp, servants and, and they, they head off to the mount. And then they get close and he leaves the servants behind and, and and they continue on. and and Isaac is even Isaac is even carrying the wood, right? This is crazy stuff. And he bound his son Isaac. And, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. I mean, we're talking about, and, and I, I don't know if you've been intrigued in this, but the trust, you know, Hebrews chapter 11 says that Abraham did this believing that God could even raise him from the dead if need be. The trust of Isaac in his father, the trust of Abraham in God, this is is amazing stuff. And and now all at once, uh, the angel cries out, Abraham, Abraham, he stops him just as he brings up the knife to slay his son to offer him. And this is God asking him, this is essentially God asking him, would you take the most precious thing in your life and offer it to me? How about that thing that you prayed for and I gave you? How about that thing that, 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 that you desired and you yearned for and you wanted and you, and, and you, you petitioned me and then I answered it? Would you take that and offer that to me? Would you, would you, would you set that or not? And what God is really saying uh, is, God is really saying, Am I more important to you than that? That's really what God wants to know right now. That's the message in this story. Am I more important to you right now? Right now, you're crying out for a job. You're crying out for employment. You're crying out to be healed. You're crying out to be well. You're crying out for solutions. You're crying out for our nation. You're crying out over those things that that uh, perplex you, torment you, or cause worry or fear. But, but he wants to know, am, am I more important to you than that? Because if you can say that he's more important, if your lifestyle, if your decision, if your choices, if your worship, if your intimacy, if your friendship, if your attention to him right now is more important to him than that, then you've already Put that on the altar. You've already brought up the knife. He already sees your willingness of heart, and he cries out, and he says, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham replies, here I am. Verse 12, he says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, The Lord Will Provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided." Uh, I I went into uh, some of the original language here, and and, uh, we're reading today out of the New International Version. But even the King James, even the King James records the name Jehovah-Jireh or Jehovah-Yireh. Verse 15, and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh as it is said to this day In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen or provided." God's provision was made available to him in the mountain of sacrifice, in the the mountain of worship, in the mountain of adoration, in the mountain. And God reveals Himself, and this is one of those names of God that we find in Scripture that identifies His character, that He is not just Jehovah. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is Jehovah who provides. It's his nature to provide when we come to the mount of sacrifice, when we come to the mount of love and adoration and laying down our lives, laying down that which is important to us, that which he's given us, that which we think is important or supreme, that which which, uh, we cherish, that which we prayed for, When we come into a position, it's a mount of sacrifice where we honor him above all of that, where we say to him, God, you're more than all of that. Then it allows his nature, his character, his essence revealed in this name to be revealed to us. And now the thing that we were about to lose doesn't need to be sacrificed. He provides the sacrifice himself. And He provides and becomes provision to us. And I believe this is what, this is what God wants us to lean into right now, that as we draw near in prayer, as we invoke His presence, as we spend time with Him, as we repent of not being near to Him, maybe we've elevated other things in our lives. This, is, this was the test of Genesis 22. The test of Genesis 22 is that God, uh, that, that Abraham prayed for a son, he cries out for a son, and it's the yearning of his heart as a son. But was the son now more important than the son giver? Was his love for the son more than his love for the son giver? And this is why he was tested. And God is even looking for this right now in us as the children of God. And as we, in the mount of sacrifice, as we turn to him, we will find him sufficient. We will find him as provision. We will find him as more than enough. And the very thing that you're fearing, the very thing you're holding on to, the very thing that you're worried about losing, if you'll just elevate him above it, he'll provide his own sacrifice, he'll provide and he will be provision. Another name, another name in the Old Testament that is so critical, so key that we, that we hallow him as, that we reverence him as, that we look to him as is Jehovah Nissi. Jehovah Nissi. He is known as Jehovah Nissi. The passage for Jehovah Nissi is Exodus 17. And I found this passage very interesting because uh, in the context of Exodus 17, the children of Israel aren't being all that amazing. You start at verse 1, they're actually grumbling, they're complaining, uh, there's no water for them to drink. Verse 2, give us water that we might drink it. And and they're upset with Moses. I mean, this was not… Uh, this was not going well. This was, this was a, a testing time. Uh, Moses had to throw uh, uh, wood into the water. God has him perform a miracle uh, so that the water will become sweet. And then the next thing that happens, verse 8, is that Amalek, the tribe of Amalek, comes to fight against Israel. And so Moses says to Joshua, Joshua, by the way, Joshua is the Hebrew word for Jesus. Yeshua is the Hebrew word for Jesus, captain of salvation. This young man that was being raised up in our midst was a picture of the salvation that God has brought us through Jesus. And so God says uh, 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 to Send, Moses, send Joshua, and this is what Moses says, verse 9, Choose men for us to go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So you've got to see this. We've got, we've got mainly herdsmen, these are not warriors. The children of Israel, they're barely out of Egypt, they're barely out into the desert. They're, they're shepherds, they're not great warriors, they've, they've raised up no warriors in Egypt. They're out in the midst of nowhere. They had no water just a moment ago, and now a tribe comes to attack them and to kill them. All they know, all they know is that that God has to save them. And Moses has this staff, and, and he, he sees this, and this staff is what just brought them through the Red Sea. And they're helpless without the power of God. Without the power… I mean, they've just escaped uh, Egypt, and they've just escaped the chariots through the water, and now they're in the midst of another peril. And if God doesn't save them, if God doesn't rescue them, they don't have another answer. And so, the the battles to be in the valley… So Moses says, I'll go to the top of the hill, and I'll hold up the staff. And so Joshua chooses those who would fight with him. They go into the valley for the fight. Joshua did as Moses told him. Verse 10 And he fought against Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur are at the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up with the staff that Israel prevailed. They're actually watching the battle. But when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed, but Moses' hands were weary. So then they took a stone, and they put it under him, and he sat on the stone. And then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were set steady until sunset. And so Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and the people with the edge of the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua. Church, we're in a period of deliverance. This week we're going to commemorate Passover because we're in a period of deliverance. We, we are, we're looking to God because we don't have another answer. Truly, truly, there's so much that is not just causing trouble and fear without reason. There's reason behind all of it, but God has, but God has a deliverance for us. He says, write this out as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And so Moses built an altar and named it, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Actually, in the Scripture, and in the King James, you'll find it. Actually, in the Scripture, again, it becomes a name for God. God reveals himself. He v- reveals his character. He reveals his nature. He reveals his identity. And he does so in rescuing his people. And he says, from now on, when you think of my name, you can think of my name in this context, that I am Jehovah Nissi, that I am your banner. I am your warrior. I am your protector. I am your shield. I am, I am who will protect you. We know what banners are. We know from even from that moment on, banners became significant. The Lord God, Jehovah Nissi, my banner. See, when he held up that staff, when he held up that staff, God wanted him to know that that represented a covering of protection. And out of that, came the understanding of the banner of God, that we fly the banner of God, and we multiply the staff of God as we unfurl the banners that declare his lordship, that declare his supremacy, that declare his power. Banners have become that which now it signifies what we trust in. It signifies the nation that we are connected to. It signifies the power of that nation or that entity. Banners have become significant in our culture, and it begins right here with Jehovah Nissi. He is the banner that we will fly. And so, as we think about prayer right now, when we think about Jesus is calling us into prayer, this is a time where the prayers of the saints are the incense that's coming up into the heavenly realms. The prayer of the saints is right now shifting the atmosphere. The prayers of those coming to know the Lord, the prayers of those turning their hearts to God, the prayers of those making things right with God. It's making a difference. And as we think about our approach to God right now, this is what He's saying. Hallow, we can hallow His name. We can come to know Him. We can lean into His character. I'm going to invite you in just a few moments. We're going to begin worship again here in the auditorium. I want you to get your elements of communion ready, get the juice and get the bread. Grab those elements of communion because we're going to go into that in just a few moments. We have an almighty God. We have an almighty God. And Jesus says, when you pray, invoke his name. When you pray, start your prayers this way. When you pray, don't come in trepidation, don't come in fear, don't, don't feel like you, you have to come, burdened down. Rather, when you pray, remember he is the deliverer. That's what he showed himself to be in Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, he was God, the deliverer. He was the great I am. In Exodus chapter 12, he rescues them from bondage. He rescues them from every, all the the 430 years of slavery, 430 years of slavery under the bondage of Egypt, he rescues them. And he does so with this last and this final plague. And as he rescues them, he encourages them. He shares with them that they will be protected as they bring a lamb into their home for four days, a perfect lamb, a lamb without blemish. And then they roast that lamb, and they eat of the lamb. And then they take the blood of the lamb, and they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their home. It was the Lord's Passover. Again, this is Father illustrating, demonstrating His nature, that He is a deliverer. He's a deliverer to those under bondage. He's a deliverer from the plague. He's a deliverer from those who've been abused, those who've been harmed. He's a deliverer of, from the, of those who have been under the dominion, under the influence Of the demonic realm under Satan's schemes. As we pray, as we're seeking God, as we're drawing near, and we are in this season, we're drawing near, we're making our hearts right with God, we're looking, is there any leaven in me? Is there any leaven in me? See, the Passover week, it starts, it starts with the actual Passover. But then it continues on into the week with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's why we have this bread here. This is the same bread, and I invite you... I'm going to open my packet. I invite you to get your bread ready. That's why we have this bread. This bread... It's strange bread, interesting bread. We're not used to flat bread. This is bread without leaven. This is, the, this is the bread that Jesus partook of at the Lord's Supper on the night before he was betrayed. It was Passover bread. It was the bread that they also prepared in Egypt at the time of the Passover. They were instructed, no, don't have yeast, don't have leavening in your bread. And the yeast or the leaven, it was, it was symbolic of the haste in which they would leave Egypt. There wouldn't be time for the bread to rise but it was also symbolic of the leaven of sin. The leaven of sin. Our Passover sacrifice had no leaven of sin in him. So the day after Passover, we begin the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This week as well, we're asking you, examine your heart, examine your life even as it declares in first corinthians chapter 11 this is why we examine our hearts and our lives that as we partake of his body this bread representing his broken body him without sin him without the leaven of sin that we too examine ourselves that we bring ourselves under Jehovah Jireh under Jehovah Nissi as we yearn for him as protector as we yearn for him as provider That we fly his banner That we elevate him above all else That we name him as supreme and that we rid ourselves of the leaven of sin this is part of what he's calling us to i'm going to pray over the bread this morning and ask you also just to prepare to receive the broken body of jesus if you've never taken communion before this represents his body broken for us he is the lamb john 1 29 behold the lamb of god he is the exodus 12 lamb He is the Passover lamb. Behold the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Lord, we look to you right now. I invite you to pray with me. Lift up your voice wherever you're watching this. If you're in a public place, just in a whisper tone. Because Romans chapter 10 says that we can enter into this protective, providing, beautiful relationship with our Father. We can become one with our Father if we will invoke the name of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. Say it with me, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, the one who's given himself for me. The one who laid down his life on my behalf. The one whose body was broken and beaten so that my body would be set free. And I receive him. I receive him as the sacrificial lamb. I receive him as the one who's brought me in to be one with you so that I can call you Jehovah-Jireh. I can call you Jehovah-Nissi. I can look to you, lean into you and rely upon you. And I receive Jesus. I receive Jesus. I name him as King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's take the bread together. Thank you, Lord. You deliver us, Lord. This is the cup of the new covenant. This represents that blood that was on the doorpost. So that as the plague came through Egypt, the plague came through the land, they were delivered. They were delivered of the plague. No one died in those Jewish homes. No one died in those Jewish pastures. They were delivered of the plague. I invite you to take the cup. The cup of the new covenant. The blood of the new covenant. Shed for us so that we could have covenant with our Father. Pray this with me. Father, I thank you for what you've done in Jesus Christ that you protect me from the plague, that you deliver me from evil, that you are my provision, and in the Mount of Sacrifice, you do provide, that you are my protection and my great warrior. I wave your banner, Father, Jehovah Nissi. I wave your banner, I wave your banner. You're the one I'm trusting in. You're the one I'm looking to. You're the one who delivers me. You deliver us. You deliver the nations. You, Father, draw us to look to you and to look to Jesus. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship today.